Matthew 6 and verse 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, you're blessed now as we approach your word. We talk about the heart. Let where our heart is, there will our treasure be. I pray you'd help me as I preach. Lord, I pray you'd help us to see the importance of telling our money where to go and investing in eternity. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and mercy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to focus on verse number 21. It says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our hearts are fickle. Oftentimes when we think, I love the Lord, or I love what God loves, or I'm on the right path in life, we can very easily think that we're going the right direction but we are not. If we also go to Proverbs 4, we're going to look a little bit in our Bible. Some of them I'll just read as I come to some scriptures. Some of them I'd like for you to turn to. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 is a very good verse when we're talking about the heart. Okay, The heart is the decision-making factory of our life. What we allow to come into our heart, what we allow to come into our heart begins to have a profound effect. And that is where everything from our life flows out of. Remember, oftentimes in society, oftentimes in other religions, okay, it's always on the external. It's always trying to control the externals, control your environment, control everything Okay, but in biblical Christianity, it is always about the heart. It always starts with the heart and everything flows out of the heart. And so when we're talking about something like finances, it has everything to do with our heart. Proverbs 4 and verse number 23, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence. Keep your heart. Guard your heart. With all diligence. Um, We've spoken a minute uh, ago about airplanes. And um, we know that when we get into, when we first arrive on the airplane, sometimes the cockpit is open. Like usually you you approach the, the airplane and you get on and right there to the left, there's the cockpit. No matter how large of an airplane it is. If it's a little tiny plane where it's just right and it just rattles your brains out because it's so stinking small and it's so loud right or those big humongous 
airplanes where you go in there and it's so, so big. Sometimes you have to look all the way down through the first class people. Nobody likes the people who sits in first class, by the way. We don't like them, right? You say, Pastor, that's not nice. It's, it's just the truth. I'm <laughs> just teasing, right? But uh, uh, when, when, when you walk in on the plane and, and, and there's the cockpit. Now, what happens, okay, when the, uh, when the airplane starts to back up and everybody's in their seats, Somebody goes up and they seal the cockpit. They lock the door. Why do they lock the door? Why don't they just leave the door open? Why can't they just let it wide open? Well, it's for safety, right? They don't want anybody either who is violent or someone who has mental health problems for them to rush into the cockpit and for them to take control of the airplane. Because here's the thing. If you have control of the cockpit, you have control of the airplane. We would all agree with that, right? If you're going to rush in and you're going to throw the guy out of the seat, or if you're going to have some kind of a weapon and try to force them to fly a different direction. And so they seal that cockpit closed, okay, once they start to back out. And that is for safety. Why? So that the plane goes on the correct path and so that the plane arrives at the proper destination. It is for the safety of the passengers, it's for the safety of the plane, and it's so that they arrive at the proper destination. Listen, friends, God tells us the same thing about our heart. He says, keep your heart with all diligence. Why? For out of it, out of what? Out of your heart come the issues of life. Why am I dealing with this? You may say, well, we need to check our heart. Where is your heart? What are we allowing into our heart? Has something come into our heart and it has now taken over the cockpit of our life, so to speak? There are some people that have this mindset where it's follow your heart. We hear that a lot from the world. You guys see the difference between what the world says And what God says, what does God say? God says, guard your heart. What does the world say? Follow your heart. Which one should we do? Well, God says that we should guard our heart and only allow in our heart what should be in our heart. And then if we are very cautious and very careful and very prayerful about what's in our heart, then we can to a degree follow our heart because we all follow our heart. It's not wrong for somebody to be in the cockpit driving the plane. It's just supposed to be the right people. It's supposed to be the people that are trained. It's supposed to be the people that are in communication with the tower. It's supposed to be the, it's supposed to be the people who safely know what to do. It's supposed to be the people who are doing the right thing the right way. And what happens is oftentimes in Christianity, we, we just leave our hearts wide open. We don't protect our heart. We have content that constantly flows into our eyes, into our brains, and then into our heart. That decision-making factory. The heart is the mind, the will, and the emotions. Okay? The mind, the will, and the emotions. It's the same thing as what the Bible says in the New Testament as the soul. Okay? It's more than the psyche, but it's similar to that. In the Old Testament, it's talking about the heart here. In the New Testament, the Bible says, talks about the treasure. 
Okay, talks about how um, we, we know where our heart is simply by where we spend our money. We always know what somebody loves because we can go to their checkbook or to their online banking and we can see where is their money going. And you say, well, their money has to go to rent. Praise the Lord. Their money has to go to food. Praise God. What food? Well, probably the food they enjoy. Right? Uh, and then uh, that discretionary money, that, that money that we can use for what other things that, that we like. Hobbies. Whether it's going towards decorating or painting, or whether it's going towards fitness, or whether it's going towards supplements, or whether it's going towards fashion, or whether it's going towards technology, or whatever it is. We have money, and we can choose where that money goes, and that money's going to go where our heart is. And so the Bible teaches us over and over again, keep your heart with all diligence. Look at Deuteronomy 11 and 16. Deuteronomy, Old Testament, the principle of guarding your heart has been throughout Scripture. Once again, false religion doesn't put as much emphasis on the heart as it does on the outsides. Oh, you have to make sure you take a bath twice a day for religious purposes so that you can be clean. Oh, you have to be really, really careful what you eat. You can't eat pork or you can't eat meat. Some people go that far. Or you can't eat this. Why? Because it's bad for your health? No, it's because God will be happy with you if you eat that. It's like a sin for you to eat those things. Right? And God doesn't say that. He says, keep your heart. When we trust Christ as our Savior, where do we ask him to come in and live? In our heart. And it's because if he has our heart and he saves our soul, he saves our heart, so to speak, then He's saving the deepest part of us. And then from that flows the rest of our life. But it says from the very beginning in Deuteronomy 11, 16 through 18, Deuteronomy 11, 16, take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived. And ye turn aside and and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you and he shut up the heaven that there be no rain and that the land yield not her fruit unless ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. Therefore shall you lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes and ye shall teach them your children. You see that? How do we protect our heart from being deceived? Because our hearts can be deceived. We can be sitting in the back of the plane thinking, we're going the right direction. I mean, how would we know that we're not going the right direction? We're trusting whoever's in the front that they're following the instrument panel and that they're going the way they should be going. And there's too many people that are just trusting their heart and they're not guarding their heart. They're letting, what, they're letting suggestions flow in. The Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Do you have a sound mind? Do you have a heart full of fear? Do you have a heart that is full of power, God's power, the right kind of power? 
Not abusive power, but the power to do the right thing. Or do we just let our heart open and when the spirit of fear, the Bible says, be not afraid of sudden fear. Sudden fear. That fear that comes to us and then I go. What puts us back on path? Guys, we have to understand that our own heart, our sinful heart can deceive us. We need to picture that there's always a terrorist outside of the cockpit of our heart trying to bust in and get us to go a different direction for the destruction of our faith. And it makes perfect sense for us when we get on an airplane for us to look down and say, oh, they locked the cockpit door. That's, that's good. That's, that makes me feel safe. That's the way it should be. Yet if we're not careful, we'll just wander around life, our heart completely open to every suggestion. And there are some people that are convinced that our heart is like it's always true and it's always right. And it's the most trustworthy things. Feelings come into our heart. Oh, I love them. I love them and they fall in love. Why? Because they haven't guarded their heart. They fall in love and then they're with that person for two or three years and they see another really beautiful person who smiles at them very sweetly and then they fall in love with that other person to the point where now people nowadays, they don't even get married anymore. Why? Well, because I just want to leave my heart open. I just don't want my heart I just don't want, what, what are you dancing around in a meadow full of birds that talk to you now? Is we, or we're just living in a Disney movie? And people, listen, people live such incredibly tragic lives because they don't guard their heart. And we don't turn our heart off. Well, the answer is just to feel nothing and do nothing. No, God doesn't want us to become cyborgs. We're just like these robots with flesh. No. The answer is to guard your heart. Well, in Deuteronomy, how do we guard our heart? Notice what it says. It says we need to take heed. It's the same thing. He's saying guard it. Hey, be aware. Be aware of your heart. Be aware that we can be deceived. We can lie to ourselves and think, I'm doing fine. I'm doing great. Well, how do we know we're doing great? Well, in the cockpit, there's an instrument panel and surely they have got a compass on that thing. They've got an altimeter telling them how high they are, the direction they're going. It's telling them this is the direction you're supposed to go and, and, and everything. And yet some, sometimes in life, we just think, I'm just going to trust that whatever comes in that, no, we, we've got to have some kind of guidance system. We've got to have something that tells us this is where you are. This is where you should be going. This is the direction you're pointed to. Don't let that in because it's going to change the direction. What is it that God gives us? It's not our own. It's not, look, it's not our education. It's not our education. It's not our background. It's God's word. What does he say? What does he say? He says, your heart can be deceived. Take heed. Now, the cockpit illustration obviously is something that we would use in, in our day, and it makes perfect sense to us. But understand that the hearts of men and the hearts of women have not changed throughout time. It's the same all the way back thousands of years ago. And what does he give? Verse 18, he says, Therefore shall you lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your head. He's saying scripture. His words, 
His words, look, should be in your heart. His words should be in our heart. Thy words have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Sin comes in. Desires come in. Lust comes in. Frustration comes in. Fear comes in. Here's fear and he's standing outside the cockpit door. And he's waiting for you to just have a moment of doubt and unlock it. I'm not really sure. Listen, not really sure if I can trust God's word in this particular instance. So I'm going to unlock the heart, the cockpit door of my heart. And here's and here's someone named fear that wants to come in and they've got a flight plan. There's some people in the cockpit of their heart, fears driving the plane. And it's not the same path as what God has for us. Fear and faith do not follow the same path in life. I'm doing this to this person because my heart's full of fear. I'm making these plans because my heart's full of fear. Versus my heart's full of faith. And not because I'm naturally full of faith. No one's naturally full of faith, no matter how long you've been going to church. Where does faith come from? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's in Romans 10. And yet we see here in Deuteronomy the same principle. Now remember, he's talking to his people, the children of Israel. He's talking to a whole nation. He's saying, if you will fill your heart full of my word, it will give you a sure end. You will track the right direction. You will have a life of blessing and a life of grace and a life of incredible privilege from God. It doesn't mean you'll live in luxury. It means that you'll have a flight path in life and a direction and guidance that can be trusted. I may not be able to see everything and understand everything that's going on in my life. But as the song says, I know who holds tomorrow And I know who holds my hand. And really, I know who holds my heart. At the end of Paul's life, he said in 2 Timothy, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him, meaning his soul, his very spirit, unto him against that day. I know whom. Are you trusting the Lord? Are you allowing his word to be the guide of your heart? What about just lust and desire, whether it's a sinful lust or whether it's just something that you personally want? As soon as you say, I'm not really sure about God's word, you unlock the cockpit door and the sweet whispers of lust and the seduction of your own sinful desires come through. It may not be a wrong thing. It might be a wrong and sinful thing. It's like, oh, I've got my own set of desires of where I want my life to go. I've got my own set of desires of where my finances want to go. And instead of saying, well, what does God's word say? Let's, let's allow God's word to be the pilot and co-pilot in my life. Notice it says in verse 19, you shall teach them unto your children. Can I just say this? Your kids watch you. Are you teaching your children to live a life of fear? 
Oh, pastor, no. Okay, well, are you teaching them to fill their hearts full of scripture so that that is what pushes the fear out? Sometimes kids will call their parents, I'm scared, I had a bad dream. What do we do in that moment? Do we point them back to scripture? We point them back to God? Let's pray about that. You're gonna be okay. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, come on, pastor, that doesn't work. It certainly does. If it works for an adult, it'll work for a kid. To teach them from a young age to put their trust in the Lord. From a young age that God is the one that loves us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for us. And we can experience his love in very practical and daily ways when we're frustrated and when we're angry and when we're sad and when we're fearful by saying, well, what does God's word say? He's the pilot, ask him. We get in trouble when we say, get up, get up, get up. Let me fly for a minute. Get up, let me fly for a minute. It's my life. Attitude of the world. Back in Matthew chapter six. We know where our heart is by where we put our money. God teaches us we should tithe. We should be able to see that on our bank statement. Every month I tithe to my local church. There are some great Christian institutions out there, amazing institutions that help people and compassion ministries, but your tithe goes to your local church. Your tithe goes to your local church. We benefit from this ministry and that's where your tithe should go. It says, verse 19, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. Okay, for, let me just say this. Verse 19 and 20 are not saying that we should not have investments. Okay, it's not saying we, or no, we shouldn't save money. It's not saying that we shouldn't have some kind of uh, retirement fund. It's not saying that. It's comparing. It's comparing. It's saying we shouldn't be laying up on earth and not laying up for heaven. We shouldn't be investing in land and gold and, and in all of these things and being so concerned about our portfolio and our future here on earth and not care about the things that God cares about. It has a comparison here where it says, lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Number one, we should be focused with an eternal perspective backwards to the present. Okay? The Christian perspective is not here forward. God's perspective is not from today and forward. The perspective of scripture always starts with the end. Judgment seat. Back. Because we don't know. Look, people are saving for retirement, working on their retirement fund and have investment properties and they've got all this stuff and then they 
they die and when they're 30 or 40 or 50 and they're still not retired and they've got all this wealth lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven that are going to be there whenever you die whenever you die how does this financial choice impact eternity eternal investments can't be lost the way earthly investments can be lost they can't be stolen they don't deteriorate with age eternal investments are ageless they can't be stolen or lost Number two, eternal investments can satisfy us deep down like no earthly purchase or investment can. Let me say that again. Eternal investments can satisfy us deep down like no earthly purchase or investment can. Isaiah 55 and verse two. Isaiah 55 and verse two says, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me And eat ye that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. What is it saying? It's saying we should invest our money, invest our time, invest our talent, invest our lives in that which is going to last forever. Eternal investments, number three, please God more than temporary investments do. Eternal investments please God more than temporary investments do. God is pleased when his saints are prosperous Psalm 35, 27, let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God doesn't look at prosperous people and say, I dislike that. I only like poor people. Do not ever think that poverty is equal with some kind of piety or some kind of godliness. And if we were really godly people, we would all choose poverty. That's not what the Bible teaches. Okay, if we if all of Christians were poor, how would we get the gospel out? Okay, how would we take care of our families? God's not against us living comfortable lives. He's not against us living lives of prosperity. He's against prosperity taking over our lives. He's against prosperity and comfort kicking God's word out of the cockpit and now I'm living my life only for myself. I don't care anything about God. I don't care anything about what God cares about. I care nothing for his church. I care nothing about the souls of others around this world. I care only for me. Sometimes we disguise that as, oh, I'm trying to take care of my family. Yeah, but you're gone. 16 hours a day and your family doesn't see you in order to be prosperous and take care of your family. No, you're doing it for yourself. You're trying to be prosperous for yourself. Your kids are going to grow up and hate you because they never saw you. But your bank account's going to be big. He is deeply pleased God is deeply pleased when the saints use their prosperity and faith to invest in the things God loves, the souls of men and the souls of women. Let's look at Philippians 4, 16. Philippians 4 and 16. Philippians 4 and 16. It's 
very easy for us to say, I love God. It's very easy for us to say, I love what God loves. It's very easy for us to say, I want to live by faith. I want to have God's blessings on my life. And God says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is a very easy, easy way for us to say, well, I say I love God, but is there any financial evidence that I love God? Look, uh, there should be financial evidence of love. Right? Uh, when, I, when, I, uh, when I fell in love with April. Aww. Yeah. When I fell in love with April 17 years ago, 17 plus, I was broke. I had no money. I was in college and I worked a job and I paid my college bill and I had literally, I had like $5 left over. Literally every time I got paid, I got paid every two weeks. I had $5 left over. Five to ten dollars left over every week, every couple weeks. No free money. Can I get a witness, Brother Braden? He's in college. Broke as a joke, we would say. But here's the thing: I had to convince April that I loved her. Because if I didn't, if I didn't convince her, someone else would. And I would lose her. And I would be a sad, lonely man for the rest of my life. I knew for sure that's exactly what would happen to me. I was desperate to show her that I loved her. And there is one thing that God has invented to show for a man to be able to show a woman that he loves her. It's called chocolate. 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 My dad, I was talking to my dad. Dad, what do I do? She doesn't believe me. I follow her around. I try to make her laugh. She mostly ignores me. Torture. I said, buy her chocolate. <laughs> Seriously, that's what he said. I'm like, hmm. I've only got five extra dollars per week. And I could spend it on. But here's the problem. My love said, don't spend it on yourself. Spend it on her. So I would go, and I know this is going to sound wildly romantic. Next to my work, pretty close to my work, there was a Burger King. And at Burger King, I'm telling you the truth. It's a true story. At the Burger King, <clears throat> they, I think they still sell them. They've got these little Hershey pies. Chocolate pie. Hershey chocolate pie. And they were like $2. So I'd go through the drive-thru. Hershey pie. Is that it? That's it. And I didn't even take a bite. I didn't even nibble. I mean, which again, for a college kid is like, that's a big deal for you not to eat half the chocolate pie. Right? I zipped, this is right after work. Got paid, went by the Burger King, got my one chocolate pie, because that's all I could afford. No french fries, no burgers, nothing. 
And then I beelined it straight for the college where I knew I could find her. I'm hunting around. I'm, I'm trying to find her. I've got my chocolate pie in my hand. I'm trying to find her. There she is. There she is. My love, my dove, please eat this chocolate pie. Reluctantly, she's going to listen to this. She'll show up. She opens it up. And she would just let me spend a few more minutes with her. And eventually, I bought enough chocolate for that girl. She was convinced I loved her. And when I finally said, I love you, she finally said, I love you too. And then we got engaged, then we got married. Okay? But I had to pay my college bill. There were things I had to spend money on. But there, because of what I loved, there had to be room for somewhere for me. And I couldn't go out and spend <clears throat> hundreds of dollars on roses or you know, order some super expensive chocolate from somewhere. Or it, it, it's, it's what I had. But it was enough. And guys, can I just say that when it comes to the Lord? What you have is enough. He wants to know that you love him. And how do we show him that we love him? We give, we are willing to give to what he loves. We're willing to give to what he loves. Philippians 4:16. Here's a church, story of a church. Philippians, we're almost done. Philippians. <clears throat> so Philippi is the name of a town. The people who live in that town are called Philippians. And they gave to their missionary. The missionary was the Apostle Paul. And he's writing them a letter in verse number 16, 416. It says, uh, verse 15 says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. So he had one church that supported him financially. Now notice what he says about that. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. So they were habitually giving to Paul. Why? So that Paul could spend his whole time preaching the gospel and helping people and starting churches. But notice it gives the perspective. So Paul's saying, you helped me and not just once, but many times. But notice what he says in verse 17. Not because I desire a gift. This is the heart of a good missionary. They're not doing it for the money. They're not doing it because this is an easy gig. They're not doing it because they're certainly not because they're being dishonest. And we have a procedure that we go through as a church to make sure that missionaries, that they've been properly educated and properly vetted. And we ask them questions and we talk to their supporting pastor and we make sure that they have a heart where they're not just going around to churches and lying and trying to get money so that they can just go somewhere and live and they've got people sending them money. They're not desiring a gift. What do they desire? He says in verse number 17, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Now here, here is the principle. Verse 18, but I have all and abound. I am full having received of, a, of Epaphroditus the things which are sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. You see, when we give to God's church and when we give to missions, 
This is worship. This is worship to God. We are showing God that we love him, that we love Jesus Christ, and that we are thankful that we have received the gospel. And yes, it helps the gospel go to other places. But this is fruit that abounds to our account. One day we're going to get to heaven. We're all going to be there. If you're saved, you're going to heaven. And this life is an opportunity, not primarily to lay up treasures on earth. Stock markets do this, mostly this. Investments provide for your family. Invest your money. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we get to heaven, you're not going to get any rewards for investments. None. We're only going to have rewards that we then get to present to Jesus to be able to show him, thank you for saving me. I have used the life that you have given me to help other people to live by faith and to help the gospel get around the world. And I am grateful for what you did for me. And that's what this is. It's an opportunity to test our heart. Am I living by fear? Am I living by lust? Am I living by all these other passions in my heart? Am I living for myself? Or am I living by God's word? That's the first test. Second of all, my money, does it, is it going towards things that God cares about? Is it going towards things that are eternal? Last verse, Philippians 4.19. We're talking about all this giving. You say, well, what happens to me? Notice it says in verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God is so pleased with those who are willing to be generous with however much or how little we have that he says, I am going to bless you and I will meet your needs and I will take care of you. And I will give you a blessed life. We're not talking about some kind of get rich quick, some kind of prosperity gospel bit. No, we're not talking about that. But this verse is specifically talking to churches that are willing to be generous with their money. I will supply all of your need. According to whose riches? His riches. His riches. We can try to live a life where it's all based on my riches or we can allow God to use us to show him worship, to help other people, to make a difference in this world. And we can live according to his riches. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.